Bring out the talent. Bring out the talent. Bring out the talent. Welcome to Bring Out the Talent, a podcast featuring learning and development experts discussing innovative approaches and industry insights. Tune in to hear our talent help develop yours. Now here are your hosts, PTA's CEO and President Maria Melfa and talent manager Jocelyn Allen. We have to start showing some of these dances. You just just took my thought out of my brain. I was like, as much as I don't want to record these with that, we have got to have a reel at some point that just shows the crazy that is really here. But yeah, Tom has some good dance moves. I know. Tom did pull up some really good dance moves. (laughs) Particularly in a chair. Don't put me on a dance floor, though. I I agree. My strongest moves are in a chair as well. (laughs) (laughs) that's a thing we should start like inventing more like cheer dancing nightclubs absolutely (laughs) well after three years of doing predominantly virtual environments with music as an intro i mean you're you're almost compelled to chair dance so Oh my God, Maria, okay. that killed me. Chair dancing clubs. Like, I just thought you meant routines. Like, we should. No, we're going to open up shop, brick and mortar. Okay, the next business. <laughs> now, what? Know what? We're going to need some good salespeople to sell this business. And that's They're... what we're talking about today because what a transition. most companies cannot succeed without good sales representatives. So, And especially in today's market, sales professionals face numerous obstacles and roadblocks that can hinder their success. In today's episode of Bring Out the Talent, we explore some of the most common sales challenges encountered in today's market and the strategies to overcome objections and resistance from potential customers. Our guest, Tom Hurley, We'll share key techniques and approaches that salespeople can utilize to build and maintain those strong relationships with their clients, despite the crazy market, changing market conditions, and customer preferences. Tom is a managing partner at Owen Collier, a renowned organization that specializes in delivering executive development programs specifically designed for senior sales and service teams. Boasting a remarkable tenure of over 20 years in this field, Tom possesses extensive experience that makes him a true authority in the industry. Welcome, Tom. Thank you very much, Maria, Jocelyn, and uh, very much looking forward to our conversation today. I, I certainly do appreciate that introduction to the to our podcast here. So I thought it might be helpful for me just to start off and give a brief introduction or an overview into Owen Collier Partners. We're headquartered out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, so up there in the New England area with a secondary office down here towards the Outer Banks, which is my location as the managing uh, managing partner. And, and what we've done over the last 20 or so years is we've had a particular expertise in working in the technology space. So one of our primary clients has been Hewlett Packard Enterprise, prior to that Hewlett Packard. And really what we focus in on, because we're, as an organization, we're really sales methodology agnostic. We align to whatever sales methodology a customer, a client may have, whether that be Challenger, whether that be Spin, whether that be Sandler, whether that be Richardson, you name the methodology, we align to that. 
our big thing is getting salespeople to focus in on it's not about your stuff, but more about what is the business outcome that your client is looking to produce and really get, getting them to look at their engagements through the customer's lens as opposed to, hey, company's got a new initiative that they're rolling out. Go out and sell more of these widgets. Those widgets only matter if we can align them to what's important to the client. So just a brief overview in terms of what we do. We we have a particular expertise, especially as it relates to highly complex sales, where there's a variety of personas that are involved, so on and so forth. So a little bit about Owen Collier Partners. And I'll turn it back over. Thanks for the debrief was actually part of (laughs) question number one was to get a little bit more information. But can you tell us a little bit more about some of the challenges that you help address? I know that we we talked about great salespeople and the partnership that exists. So can you tell us a little bit about the challenges that you address? Yeah, I think I think as we look at, in particular, with some of the clients that we're currently working with, and you take a complex sale. All organizations, whether they be tech companies, whether they be just retail products, what have you, they do a wonderful job in terms of training them on the products. What what we focus in on is in today's environment, with complex sales, there are more and more people that are involved in the process, more and more people that have a vote. In, in terms of what the solution might look like. The biggest challenge they have is salespeople tend not to, even though there's a tremendous amount of information readily available to them, they tend not to spend the necessary time to do the requisite research to understand three main things. What is the customer's business? What does it look like? What's the health of it? What industry are they operating in? Right. If you're in healthcare, there's a whole set of dynamics that's going on in the healthcare arena that as a salesperson, I need to be aware of. And it also, you also need to be pretty well conversant in the financials of the, of the organization that you're talking about. How are they performing? Are they achieving their expected results? What are the shareholders happy with them? And if they took the time to do that, it would open up a much broader dialogue in terms of how are they going to make economic decisions, right? A lot of times we see that decisions that are never made 60% of the time, it's because they, they just maintain the status quo as opposed to moving forward with a, with a meaningful value proposition. So it's going to open up discussions for them. It's going to let them have the conversation about who all is involved in the decision-making process. Right. In in highly technical sales and highly complex sales, there's in many instances, seven, eight, nine people that are going to be part of the decision making team. How's it going to get funded? Right. What we're seeing today in the tech space is decisions are being made differently because everything is being sold on a on a what I'm going to refer to as a utility basis. Right. Everything you don't buy necessarily a bunch of equipment any longer. It's almost like you're paying your, your utility bill. It's it's on a monthly basis that you're, they call it consumption-based pricing. So that's a different model in terms of how it's going to be funded because it's not going to come out of necessarily their CapEx budget. 
it's going to come out of potentially an operating expense budget. So those are the big challenges that that we help people to truly overcome and understand. And we'll talk as we go on about some of the results that we've experienced with, with our approach. So there's a lot of different challenges that salespeople face in today's market. So what are what are some of the most common hurdles that you've seen people face or professionals face and what some of the advice that you've given to navigate mm-hmm. through them? So, so I'll answer that two different ways. I, I think there's a challenge depending upon the organization. A lot of organizations say we want to, we want to sell strategically, but their mindset is that we operate tactically. So every 30, 60, 90 days, we clean the scoreboard. So there's the one that's the, there's the internal challenge, which is I need to deliver numbers, although I do know that I need to sell more strategically, right? And I think the other challenge is, is just being relevant within a new group of personas. So for many people, they call on the same people time and time again, right? And when you ask them to broaden out and say, okay, well, you need to have a conversation for this particular solution with the CFO of the organization. Well, what would you say to them? They don't know how to have that conversation because it's totally out of their wheelhouse. And that's another area that we really assist people in helping them to overcome those challenges and those obstacles to their selling success. So it sounds like not only do you help prepare them to speak the talk to each individual industry that they're calling on, but Mm -hmm. also the title. Well, exactly. The person's title. Yes, exactly. I mean, if you're, if you're just simply talking to procurement and procurement is in many large organizations, a means to an end, their, their role is to get the best possible price. But if you've got senior leadership that's endorsing a particular solution because it has value to the corporation or to the business unit, they're going to help to shepherd your your opportunity through procurement. Yeah, they're going to get their pound of flesh, if you will, but they're also going to recognize that this is a valuable solution that's going to have meaningful business impact to the corporation and to the business unit. What do you think about organizations having specific sales reps focus on specific industries versus calling on all industries? Well, I think that I, I think that's appropriate. So, for instance, you you see that a lot in the tech space, right? So, you take telecommunications. Telecommunications today is a very specialized business. Right. There's solutions that are specifically designed for the telecommunications field. It, it's it's not necessarily feasible if you don't have a population of large accounts. So you take industry specific, you take financial services, for instance, you name all the banks that you can imagine. You've got J.P. Morgan Chase, you've got Bank of America, you've got uh, Wells Fargo, you've got the, you know, the, the top names. Those are typically covered by one individual, one individual per bank. Now, if you've got small regional banks, 
So for instance, down here in, in North Carolina, we have a little, a little community bank. It's called Town Bank. You can't be you can't be necessarily verticalized when you've got small banks across the large territory. You, you, you've got to know enough about the industry to be smart. And one of the things that I've taught previously in a in a previous life is having sales reps think about when they have a massive territory and they've got multiple industries that they're responsible for. Where have you had success? What industry? And can you replicate that across all of, let's say it's, let's say it's banks, small regional banks. If you've had success there, who are all the target? I, I call them ideal customers, right? Because you've had success, you've had a solution, and you can replicate that throughout your territory, which quite candidly is working smarter rather than harder. So hopefully that answers the question in regards to verticalization. Yes, it does. Thank you. Good. Now, like this kind of leads into a little bit sales enablement, like as we're sure. we're talking about kind of organizing mm -hmm. roles in a, or industries in a certain way. And I know that Owen Collier places mm -hmm. significant significant emphasis on this. So yeah. what are some practical ways in which those initiatives around sales enablement empower sales teams to tackle these challenges more head on, yeah. because I think approach is half the battle as well, sure. right? Communication Absolutely. and how your message is delivered or your actions are mm -hmm. going into play. So can we talk about that a little bit too? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, fortunately, I've spent a few years prior to uh, <clears throat> joining Owen Collier as managing partner, I've spent a number of years in sales enablement. So I'm pretty familiar with, with what the role of sales enablement is. Sales enablement, in my opinion, is equivalent to revenue enablement. Everything that the sales enablement organization should do is all about helping salespeople to become more successful. They also need, they also, in many respects, are a consultant to the business. And, and what I mean by that is, is rather than just simply saying, okay, we've got a, we've got a new product launch that we need to get out there. We're going to create a virtual one-hour training. And here you go, everybody. Take the training because this is going to help you. It's really a matter of consulting with business and identifying, much like a salesperson would, identifying what are the requirements, what are the needs, and then coming back and being able to work with vendors like a Owen oh, Call Your Partner or other vendors that may be available to them to create and design the right solution that's going to produce the out the impact the business outcome that they're looking to produce. And, and that may be, it may be training. It may be tools. It may be marketing literature. It could be a variety of different things. And I think the other thing they need to, they need to be able to do is, is be able to track it and understand what are the metrics. Why are we doing this? My time in sales enablement, a lot of times I see things that, well, we're going to do this. Well, why are we doing it? Because we think it's going to impact. It. Okay, well, if we believe it's going to impact it, how are we going to measure that impact? Because if it's not going to have any impact, why waste the time? So I think sales enablement is really, and in many instances, they're our client. They're who we work with. Now, 
in addition to sales enablement, who will be the funder of anything that we do, we always look to have an executive sponsor as well. Because if it's just created in sales enablement and there's not an executive sponsor, it's not going to get the mind share to ultimately be successful. So a lot of what marketing does, I consider sales enablement. Mm. What do you think about that? I think there's a portion of it. I think when when you take a look at marketing, marketing tends to be, they're, they're going after the broad base, right? So they're creating messaging around what's going to attract people to come to my website, to call a salesperson, to engage with us, so on and so forth. And that's part of it. But more importantly, is what are we going to do to enable salespeople beyond just the marketing one pager to go out and and actually consult with our clients to talk to them about what impact that this this could have on their business? Very true. And I think a lot of organizations are missing that function. I know we Mm -hmm. have just, when I look at TTA, we have a little bit of that, but we certainly can do a lot more Mm -hmm. in that area. So when we're talking about helping to support our salespeople, one of the biggest objections that salespeople talk about over the years, not only at TTA, but you hear it from all salespeople, they always get price objections. So what do you, how do you train your sales reps or your organization on how to handle those objections? So, so, so again, going back to the fact that we're somewhat sales methodology agnostic, we don't necessarily teach a, an objection handling process. They're out there. I've taught them in a previous life. I, I think the big thing is, is for salespeople, when they get objection, whether it be price objection, whether it be some other sort of objection, a couple of things happen. One, they start justifying their position. So they 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 essentially and, and they don't do it they 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 don't do it to really get argumentative with the client, but it just comes across that way, right? So my suggestion always has been when you get an objection, don't shy away from it. Ask questions. Ask questions about what about if it's price for instance what about the price concerns you because at the end of the day if it's about price we haven't we haven't done a couple of things possibly one we haven't created the level of value for the client to justify the price right perhaps we haven't uh, aligned it to the value structure that they have i use the analogy which most people can can relate to it's like buying an automobile right i need transportation from point a to point b some people will look at that and say well the mercedes is way too expensive if i just need transportation where other people will say that's not too expensive that's what i'm going to get while other people will go for the whatever the the ford smallest version of the smart car for instance so so we've got to align it to value it can come in price maybe we missed something in the product right maybe we sold features that we liked that had no meaning to our client 
right? I mean, it, 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 there's a variety of factors that go in. And I think at the end of the day, price tends to be the easy one that people throw out, or the price is too high. And once we start peeling the onion, we then have an ability to determine what's the real objection. Because more times than not, it's not, a, it's not price. It's about something other than price. We didn't articulate the value. Enough. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So regarding price, mm-hmm. do you feel it's very important in the initial conversation to get a budget from your client? And if the client doesn't give you a budget, what do you do? Well, I think, so yes, it's important to understand the budgeting process. One of the things that we do at Owen Collier Partners is we, many of our programs, we bring in former C-level executives to bring the perspective of the customer. One of the things that we know from working with these executives is these are the guys that create and move the budgets. So budgets tend to be fungible, right? So there may be budget, it may not be enough, but if you can create enough value to the organization, they'll go and find money. They'll shuffle money from one department or one project to your project because it gets a better return on investment. One of the criteria that some companies use in terms of qualifying their opportunities is called BANT. So first thing out of the gate, do you have budget and do you have sufficient budget? But we haven't even gotten into the discovery conversation about well, what the heck are you trying to do, right? So that that can happen at a later date. And if the conversation is going well, that's when executive sponsorship will find money for you to implement a solution. Yeah, this is all really helpful information and, and perspective that is important to think about. Sometimes you don't think about it, right? Like what you said, what did, are, I love that you said, are we selling what we love? Right. Like oh, what yeah. did we miss about the product? Is am I am I getting really excited about what I'm excited about? And right. have I right? It's it's like it's, a very key point that's probably happening that people don't even realize yeah. that they're well, doing, right? Well, exactly. And I go back to the analogy. Think about the last time you purchased a, a an automobile. Mm-hmm. They're they're trying to sell me on all of the features that I really don't care about. Because mm-hmm. I my my mission is my car sits in my driveway the vast majority of the time, right? <laughs> and it used to go from the driveway to the golf course or to the airport. And I just needed simple transportation. So I don't need all the bells and whistles mm-hmm. and the heated seats and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I'm in North Carolina. It's hot most of the year. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The motor would burn out for lack of use. More exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so let's all, let's talk more about the, the sales process and mm-hmm. the unknowns, how things are changing and evolving and things yeah. we might not think about. And like the digital yeah. landscape is one of those things. Like it's completely revolutionized our sales process, whether it's 10 years ago or yesterday or tomorrow, right? Right. What are some emerging trends or technologies in sales that Owen Collier believes have the potential to significantly affect effectiveness and efficiency? Yeah. I mean, we hear that, that, that um, quote, TKD, that time kills deals. So like efficiency right. and effectiveness are, mm-hmm. you know, top priority. Let's right. talk about the digital landscape and, and what's happening there. Sure. Well, I, I mean, it's a great question. And I think the good news is, is the digital landscape has made it 
potentially easier for sellers. And, and the reason I say that is, is there's such a proliferation. And as I, I get unsolicited emails, at least six or seven a day, wanting me to take a look at another platform, another platform that's going to revolutionize our sales efforts, that's going to give me the capability to, you know, conquer the world in, in terms of consulting. There's some really good platforms out there. I think if salespeople take the time to learn the tools, have access to the tools, it can streamline their life. I mentioned before, salespeople tend not to take the time. And this is a broad brush statement. And so the good salespeople do take the time to do the research on their client, the industry, their financials, but many don't. So with the tools that are available, you've got great access to a lot of that information today. The other thing is, is I think it, when you think about elevating your conversation to more senior leaders in the organization, I think it's really important. And there's some cool tools out there that you can monitor what the company is saying and what people in the company are saying about different posts I mean, there's, there's, we've looked at a couple of different programs, and I think you folks probably do it knowing with the series of podcasts, what are people saying about the podcast? And there's, there's access to digital information. I mean, AI is going to change everything going forward. I mean, some may think it's scary, but, you know, when you think about the amount of, of digital content that's out there today, and how do you harness that? And what are people saying about our new product rollout? What are people saying about the organization as a whole? So I think the, the proliferation of the digital reality, if you will, has making it easier for salespeople to be engaged making it easier for salespeople to engage with the right personas at the right time on the right topics and, and drive better, better outcomes in their selling process. Absolutely. And we see that changing every hour now. Yeah. And, and it's not just, it's not just LinkedIn anymore. Mm -mm. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I took a look at a, I took a look at a tool, won't mention the name because I'm not going to give them a free plug infomercial <laughs> here, but basically it allowed me to get access to information that would take me, God, I, I, I'd have to do so much legwork to get the information, email addresses and, you know, what they're looking at and why are they looking at it and what's their direct phone number? What's their cell phone number? It's almost scary as I consider how many, you know, spam calls I get during the course of the day. I'm going, now I know how they get them. So, yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of information out there and some pretty cool tools that really streamline the process. So what do we think the best way for a sales rep to reach a prospective prospect? Because I know myself, I probably get 100 unsolicited emails a day, mm -hmm. which is absolutely mm -hmm. crazy. Everybody's trying mm -hmm. to reach me through like LinkedIn. Sure. I don't get as many phone calls and that's kind of interesting. Maybe I, they would have more success mm -hmm. if they did pick up the phone. So, so what do you think? What's the mix of phone calls? Do you have to make phone calls to get the initial interest? I, I don't know that there's a, an actual appropriate mix. I think you've got to change up your approach. 
But the one thing that I will say is it's got to be something that's going to grab your attention. Right. It's got to grab whoever you're trying to talk to, because otherwise they're just going to click delete. It'll be like me sending you, Maria, I'd love to have the opportunity to come in and talk about your business. Well, okay, I'm busy. You don't you don't have time to educate me on your business. I should know what your business is. If I'm trying to reach out to a CFO and I've done my my due diligence and I know that they're, you know, there's quarter over quarter performance is not where it needs to be. And I've got something that I believe can can accelerate their performance quarter over quarter, then I need to message that, whether it be in a text message, whether it be in a, a message in LinkedIn, if we're connected, whether that be an email communication or a voicemail communication. It, it, it's got to be impactful. Otherwise, it's just going to fall on deaf ears. You're absolutely right. So I've had a few recent examples, some good, some bad. Uh So one thing that I've been seeing a lot lately, a sales rep is trying to reach me and then they keep on sending emails saying, I have not heard from you. This is my fourth attempt. So that in itself doesn't sound too great. Then I love when I get sorry. Exactly. And then and then the emails. Hi, Maria. I've been trying to reach you when you haven't like responded to my emails. And I have no idea. They don't even give me like the previous thread. I have no idea what company it is, what they do. And it's interesting because that happens a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, at least they got your name right. (laughs) I've had a few. I I get ones that don't even get my name right, but they claim to really know my business. (laughs) But if you knew my business, you wouldn't be sending me this this email because the platform you're proposing is irrelevant to what we do. So, yeah, it's amazing. And then one recent good example I actually shared with the sales team. So I had a sales rep that went to our website mm-hmm. which is pretty remarkable <laughs> and they and they and they saw that um, we all had our company profiles and my son went to University of Michigan mm-hmm. and I have a bunch of black labs under my profile I have several dogs and they wrote a really great tie-in to all of this and it really caught my attention sure. and they did a good job explaining their services mm-hmm. and stuff but I was like right now we don't have a need for your services, but you right. know, great job and mm-hmm. you know, touch base with me in several months. Maybe we will have a, things change. Exactly. Exactly. And that, 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 that's what, that's what I'm saying. It's got to grab your attention and it can be talking about the black labs, by the way, I have two English cream golden. So yes. I'm a, I'm a lab <laughs> yes. lover as well. Oh so. yes. Mine are the English um, black and they're short and very fat. I love them. They're they're smushy. Yes. Nothing wrong with smushy. Yes, absolutely. Well, especially you and um, near the Outer Banks, they must absolutely love it there. Yeah, they do. We've got about an acre of property, so they they love running around the backyard. I'm not real crazy about the holes they dig, but uh, (laughs) that's why why I go to to Lowe's and buy rakes and stuff to fill in those holes. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, one of mine is almost a little bit out of puppy stage, about 14 months, but he's the only one that's actually chewed holes in our walls. So flat walls and actually chewed like very big holes. Mm -hmm. So- had others chew things up, but yes. I, 
Well, He's the I'm right child. There. It's always the youngest. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there. Ours just ours just turned ours just turned a year. So I have a I have a five year old and a and a one year old. So oh, nice. <clears throat> they are the best. Oh, they are. They yes. are. So what were we even talking about? I know we got a dog. Right? <laughs> oh no, we were talking about that good the sales rep that actually yeah. did a great yeah, job connecting yep. personally mm-hmm. with me. So. Mm-hmm. You told them that too, Maria, though. Like, I love that you were like, hey, if I needed you, you could have had me. Yeah. <laughs> but like, otherwise, no. that was really Yeah, cool. absolutely. Cool. No, he, he did. It was a really like, nice, like sincere email. Yeah. And effort. One thing that we see a lot now, Tom, when our sales reps get ghosted, so they have great conversations. They've had multiple conversations. We think right. that we've done a great proposal. And then they never hear back from the client. And Mm -hmm. we're always trying to figure that out. I have said, well, did we have a good enough relationship with them? Did we talk about, hey, if there's any feedback, even whether it's bad or good, please let us know. We want to like work with you, but I don't know what we're missing. So I think some of it may get into, and and I'm just speculating. I mean, we could take a look at some of those case studies and kind of do a diagnosis on it, but were they truly qualified opportunities that we're putting proposals out on? what, What was the business trying to accomplish? Was there a timeline associated with it? Or candidly, and, and, and we've seen this, and this happens a lot of times when companies get in the habit of responding to RFPs. And, and what they do is they respond to the RFP. They had no influence on the RFP. And then they kind of scratch their head and go, well, how do we lose it? Well, right. you were never a consideration to begin with. The reason you got the RFP is because they needed three bids to fulfill a corporate obligation. And they had already made a decision as to who they were going to go with. So I, I think some of it just simply gets into the qualification process. And are 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 we are we being taken seriously? Do we understand what the business initiative is, the business driver? No, you're definitely right. And I know we've gone back and forth on how we want to proceed on RFPs. Mm -hmm. And there was a period of time where we did not respond to any of them. Sure. Now we're really trying to qualify that RFP, make sure that Mm -hmm. we have the ability to have some conversations prior to that. One of our largest deals that we had last year actually was from an RFP, but mm-hmm. you're right. There's a lot that we never hear back from. Exactly. Exactly. And in and, and the one that you won, you were probably instrumental or actively involved in helping to construct the terms and conditions of the RFP. And and then, okay, granted, I got to get th- two or three other bids, but, you know, we, we've kind of, we, we've, we've kind of made a determination already as to which way we're going to go. Now that is, this is a good kind of like lead in as we're talking to qualifying things mm-hmm. and responding to things that come, come across like leads and generation from those leads. So those are always priorities, right? Like expanding your customer base, following up on leads. Yeah. What are some effective strategies and approaches to that side of sales process? Like how can they successfully generate qualifying leads and grow um, their customer base? Well, so depending upon the sales role that you're in. So you asked earlier about working in a vertical 
type of scenario, right? So I have one account. I'm working with JP Morgan Chase. That's my sole account. Developing leads there looks a little bit different because I've only got one account. So I need to sell deeper and wider. So I've really got to expand my relationships. I really got to understand the business more thoroughly. You take a territory rep, for instance, that maybe has two or three states and 16 different industries that they're responsible for. That's just, in my opinion, that is that it gets back into what I said before is kind of identifying where have you had success? How can you replicate that success and working smarter rather than harder? Is, is, is how you're going to do it. There's nothing easy about generating leads. We talked about the digital tools that are available. That's making it more simplified. Every organization has a CRM system, Salesforce or whatever. So that, that was a repository of goodness, theoretically, and uh, helping them to do their job more effectively so that if you've got turnover in a territory rep role, whoever left it has left you at least something that you can, the new rep can come in and start picking up. So uh, de- developing and, and ma- developing a pipeline is hard work, right? Let's, let's not kid ourselves. It's, uh, it's, you got to come in, you got to, you got to put your, you know, strap in for, for the day and you just got to go to work. Very true. So as we are ending this podcast, love to get a few more bits of information from you. So I know you have several different sales tracks. Can Mm -hmm. you explain what each sales track is and what the proper audience is? Yeah, absolutely. So we have one track, which we call Partnering for Success, which is designed for clients that sell through a channel network. So when you think about one of our key clients that we've done business with for many, many years, Hewlett Packard and Hewlett Packard Enterprise, the vast majority of their products are sold through a distribution network. So we train, we we enable the salespeople that are calling on channel partners, how to become more financially astute about their business, right? And that's what we call partnering for success. We have another one that we call persona-based selling. So for those organizations that need to raise their game, that need to push out of the comfort calls that many other salespeople may be making, that they're being, there's a requirement now to engage with the likes of a CFO, a CTO, a CIO, the, you, you name the C-suite or the line of business individual. We have a program there. We also do a program where we bring in large account sales teams and we line them up against with with a former C-level executive in their industry. And that program has been incredibly successful. We've run a series of those. It was done in Hewlett Packard Enterprise. There was an independent study that was done. And when benchmark against 295 similar type programs, we were in the top 2% of programs. And not only that, it produced significant financial return on investment. There was several hundred million dollars that came as a result of the investment in that program. Then we augment all of our programs with some form of a coaching curriculum. 
Because as we know, training typically is only as successful as the reinforcement and the adoption that you get organizationally. So everything that we do, we follow it up with a complementary, I shouldn't say complementary, but a similar program that's designed for the managers as to how to coach to these new skills, these new conversations, these new disciplines. Great success story with HPE. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This is really well, great information. I know. Well, th- thank you a- for thank you for having me, and I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. And I think. And I think. <laughs> and I think. you're you're thinking right. You are thinking right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at you. I tell this is going to be good. Well, yes, I you you are correct. It is time for the next greatest part of our show after the interview, and that's the TTA ten. Okay. It's the TTA ten. Ten final questions for our guest. All right, Tom. So we went over this a little bit. You know what the TTA 10 is. 90 seconds are going to go on the clock. I have 10 questions for you, and the goal is to answer them in a timely manner, 90 seconds or less, to be very specific. So before I get started, I only have one question to start. Are you ready? Giddy up. There we (laughs) go. All right, David, 90 seconds, please, and thank you. Yes, Jocelyn, 90 seconds beginning. Now. All right, Tom, what is your favorite movie of all time? Caddyshack. What is one thing that will always put you in a good mood? Alcohol. (laughs) What is is 10 times 2? 20. How many feet are in a yard? Three. Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. What did Jack jump over? Candlestick. Can you name an actor who has played the Batman villain, the Joker? Jack Nicholson. Best one. Tell us something that we would be surprised to know about you. I've been married 38 years. Okay, color me surprised. (laughs) (laughs) What is the best flavor of Starburst? Oh, goodness gracious. Um, Strawberry. Beachfront or mountainside? My wife would force me to say beachfront. (laughs) You're having a movie made about your life. What's the title? Goodness gracious. The title, the title. I love dogs. (laughs) I would watch it. All right. I like that. David, that is 10 questions. Tell us the verdict, please. Well, we've never had anyone get that badly stuck on the Starburst question before. But <laughs> I, I, I can't eat Starburst, so pull yeah. all my fillings oh, you, out. You put, but pink is the best, so you chose you chose correct. He still managed to come in under ninety seconds at just one minute and twenty six seconds. Ooh, well done. Very got, close, Tom. Very close. Tall. Now the TTA ten research department has determined that Tom grew up in New Jersey, so we thought it would be appropriate to get some music from the streets of Asbury Park. Two, three, four! That's right. The highway may be jammed with broken heroes, but we've got a genuine hero in the house today. Tom, you are a TTA 10 champion. Now, the research department at TTA 10 Industries also discovered that Tom is a graduate of Uppsala College. Go Vikings! Uppsala College alums are certainly proud of you today, Tom, including rock music producer Don Kirshner, music industry executive Alan Klein, and of course, 
Latvian modernist poet Gunara Salins. And by the way, I'm glad you got him. Yeah, I mean, he's the best. If you're curious and you'd like to visit Uppsala College and you're near South Orange, New Jersey, don't go there. The school closed in 1995. But it did spring to life once again when Drew Barrymore shot a movie there in 2001, which is nice. We know Tom is a whiz in the area of sales. Well, Tom, whatever you're selling, we're buying. No need to sweat it out on a runaway American dream. Guys like you, Tom, you were born to win, and today you're the boss. Congratulations. Oh, fantastic, Tom. I got to say, one thing that will always put me in a good mood is your answers to number one and two together. Uh, Caddyshack with a little bit of booze. So, <laughs> you know, you can give them some hot yeah, ones. Yeah. You had, I, I well, think he gave if I didn't some. have those two, I know, the two tough the ones, it would have been life. too easy. I, I know. Too easy. I am here to bring the heat. And <laughs> yes, you are. Tom and, can and stay in the kitchen. Yes. So You successfully um. did it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tom. Let us help you navigate your sales challenges. Visit us at thetrainingassociates.com. We'll see you later.